Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshan, co-host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is February the 23rd, 2024. It has been 3,679 days since Russia started covert military operation in Crimea, 10 years and 3 days since the start of the Russia-Ukraine war, and 1 year and 364 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression. Tomorrow will mark two years of Russia's three-day special military operation. Today's podcast looks at events that happened on Thursday and Friday morning. During the podcast, you will find the Russia-Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed. A link is in the podcast description. There are map updates today. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers on social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission – the truth. Because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. There is an elevated risk of a large-scale missile attack targeting civilians and civilian infrastructure through February the 24th. 2. There is a significant risk of a major false flag attack in occupied Donetsk through February the 24th. 3. Our July 2023 assessment that Russian President Vladimir Putin was starting the largest political purge since Stalin, using the Prigozhin insurrection as a catalyst, was accurate. 4. In our assessment, the risk that Russia will recognize the breakaway Moldovan Republic of Transnistria or declare it intends to annex the region is low. 5. Ukraine's acute shortage of ammunition and air defense missiles continues to impact the battlefield, with Kyiv and Washington warning that the situation will become catastrophic by April. 6. It is very unlikely that Russia will achieve its main operational goal of capturing the remaining areas of the Luhansk and Donetsk oblasts and the areas east of the Oskil River in northern Kharkiv oblast by March the 13th. 7. The United States has ended financial and military aid to Ukraine unless there is an unforeseen event that changes congressional leadership before the 2024 elections. 8. The lack of media attention and the ending of U.S. military aid has encouraged the Kremlin to be more transparent when committing grave breaches of the Geneva Conventions due to the lack of a meaningful response from international organizations. 9. Russian forces continue their offensive to capture Chasiv Yar, west of Bakhmut. 10. Combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue for the foreseeable future. 11. We maintain that while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the condition is more serious than what the International Atomic Energy Agency is reporting. We begin today's war report in the Donbass and northeast Donetsk Oblast. 
No, I didn't miss part of the script. There was fighting in Kharkiv and Luhansk Oblast, and we cover it in our situation report. But there wasn't enough activity to make the podcast. There's more information in the podcast description. Starting in the Siversko, Russian forces continued their attacks in the direction of Vyimka. We adjusted the line of conflict using terrain analysis and based on a change in language from the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GCFU, which described the fighting as near versus southeast of. Russian forces have significantly increased the intensity of their attacks in the Bakhmutyo. Fighting continued near Bogdanivka, where we adjusted the line of conflict, moving Russian forces away from Kalinivka. Due to unfavorable terrain, advances made in January could not be maintained, forcing Russian troops to slowly fall back. Near Hromove and the western edge of Bakhmut, Russian forces attempted a two-pronged attack involving two companies of mechanized infantry supported by at least an additional company of light infantry. It went badly, with 15 armored vehicles' mobility killed and destroyed. We link to two videos in today's situation report. Southwest of Bakhmut, Russian forces launched a furious attack in the direction of Ivanivske, reaching the eastern edge of the settlement. The situation is complicated due to Russian forces trying to advance from Bogdanivka to Ivanivske, spreading out Ukrainian resources. Additionally, the Freedom of Russia Legion, which was in the Ivanivske and Klishivka areas, was transferred to the Avdivka AO. Further south in the Klishivka AO, fighting continued northwest, north and east of Klishivka and east of Andreevka. There has been no change in the situation, with Russian forces prioritizing their advance toward Chasivyar. Additionally, the terrain is unfavorable for a Russian advance from the east. Last year, private military company Wagner Group expanded massive resources to take the ridge above Klishivka and was unable to cross the Siversky Donetsk Donbass Canal east of Stupochke. In our assessment, Russian commanders are hoping to capture Ivanivske, climb the ridge, and reach the canal, significantly complicating the continued support of Ukrainian forces in Klishivka. In the Toretsk, New York AO, GSFU reported fighting near Toretsk, while the Russian Ministry of Defense reported fighting in the area of Pivnichne and Shumy. There has been very little acknowledgement from either combatant about fighting in the Terracons on the edge of Horlivka and at the gas compressor station south of Pivdenne, but activity has continued in the region since late 2023. On February 21, two Iranian sourced Shahed-136 one-way drones struck the upper floor of a dormitory in Dobropilla. The building was housing evacuees from Avdiivka, Bakhmut, Liman and Velika Novosilka. Four people were injured. Here is the situation in southwest Donetsk Oblast, starting in the Avdiivka AO. Russian forces are continuing to press, attempting to take advantage of the personnel and ammunition shortages Ukraine is facing. The commander of the Tavrio Operational Strategic Group, Brigadier General Oleksandr Tarnavsky, reported that Russian forces were regrouping, pulling up reserves and increasing the number of airstrikes. He reported fighting continued in Stepove, with no change in the situation. Russian propagandist Roman Sapankov, who is in occupied Avdiivka, reported that the settlement is still a, quote, grey area, and one-way drones and Baba Yaga are, quote, actively working the outskirts. Russian forces were able to advance in the direction of Orlivka, but at a heavy price. 
the 3rd Separate Assault Brigade repulsed an overnight attack, destroying two armored vehicles, killing 35 and capturing nine. Videos recorded by drones confirmed the casualty claims. Heavy fighting continued east of Lastochkina, with no change in the situation. Southwest of occupied Avdiivka, Ukrainian forces withdrew north of Opetne and east of Severne. Fighting has moved west, with Russian forces attempting to advance through Severna to Tonenke. Fighting continued in the eastern part of Pervomaiske and near Nevelske, with no change in the situation. Russian forces shelled the settlement of Kurahivka with 13 Smerch rockets. Numerous private homes were damaged and destroyed. Nine people were wounded, including four children from 12 to 16 years old, and one person was killed. The Russian aerospace forces bombed that attack thermal power plant in Kurahove with fab 250 kg bombs, wounding nine employees. The Putin-appointed illegitimate governor of the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, Denis Pushilin, warned that, quote, the number of shellings may increase, so everyone should strengthen personal security measures and not move around the streets unless absolutely necessary. Moving to much-needed assessment. Yesterday I reported our analysts determined that Central Donetsk is now out of range of Grad rockets, mortars and most artillery systems. Pushilin has repeatedly promised that the capture of Marienka and Avdiivka would bring an end to artillery strikes on occupied Donetsk, which we have repeatedly documented have come from Russian-controlled areas. In our assessment, this appears to be conditions setting for a larger false flag attack. In the Marienkayo, Russian forces renewed their attacks south of Krasnohorivka, that's the one north of Marienka. Fighting continued on the eastern edge of Georgievka. Russian mercenary Melblogo Wogonzo claimed that there was an advance, and GSAFU did not mention the settlement in its morning report. Historically, when GSAFU doesn't mention a settlement where there is active fighting, it is a signal that Ukrainian forces have withdrawn. We left the map unchanged. Russian sources reported that Pobeda was captured, while Ukrainian sources reported that fighting continued. We moved the line of conflict and maintain our assessment from yesterday that the village is contested, but mostly Russian-occupied. In the Vogledario, the situation remains difficult, with a spokesperson for the Tavria Operational Strategic Group saying, quote, in the vicinity of the settlements of Novomikhailovka and Pobeda, the enemy, with the support of aviation, tried to break through the defense of our troops 31 times. Unquote. Despite the attacks, Russian forces did not move the line of conflict east or south of Novomikhailovka. An overnight attempt by a column of Russian armor to advance on the settlement from the south ended with catastrophic losses. The 79th Naval Infantry Brigade destroyed three tanks, two infantry fighting vehicles, and most of the supporting light infantry. When the lead tank was destroyed, the other vehicles in the column continued their advance, bunching up. The dismounts at the rear of the column scattered. We link to the video, which includes high-quality thermal imaging. There's more information in the podcast description. In the Staromlinivka AO, fighting continued in the area of Novodonetska, with no change in the situation. In occupied Mariupol, six Russian election workers with the United Russia Party died from poisoning. 
It is reported that the group, which included two local collaborators and four from Moscow, ordered takeout from a local restaurant. The Ministry of Internal Affairs researched the restaurant and determined it was the delivery person who poisoned the food and drinks. Fighting continued in Zaporizhia Oblast, and there continues to be no indication Russia is setting conditions for a larger offensive. In the Rihivio, fighting restarted west of Verbove and continued south and west of Robotina. The optimism expressed by Russian mail bloggers has faded due to unfavorable terrain and a stronger-than-expected Ukrainian defense. Near Robotina, a Ukrainian drone destroyed an abandoned Russian T-54-3 medium-duty tank. The Block 3 T-54 first entered service in 1951. Local residents of occupied Berdyansk reported that a car bomb exploded near the Amstor shopping center. At the time of recording, no other information was available. In the Khersonyo, fighting continued in Krynke, with Ukrainian forces repelling two attacks. Extremely graphic videos showed fighting continued in the settlement, with drones providing supplies and logistics to Ukrainian marines. Russian soldiers with the 810th Naval Infantry Brigade turned to social media, denying that Ukrainian forces were pushed out of Krynke, adding that Russian troops do not occupy the islands between the Dnipro and Konka rivers. Quote, In short, we were thrown. It turns out our command gives false information. Unquote. They also implied they are not receiving their promised pay, with the Kremlin declaring they are fighting in Russia and not in the so-called Special Military Operation Zone. Quick assessment. This is an astounding act of insubordination, as the squad has to understand the ramifications of going public with their complaints and implying Minister of Defense Sergei Shaigu is lying. The video is a further indication that there is tension between the head of the Dnipro group, Colonel General Mikhail Teplinsky, and the Kremlin. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Here is my theatre-wide update. From the evening of February the 21st to the morning of February the 23rd, Ukraine shot down 31 of 41 Shahed-136 drones. In Odessa, an intact warhead of a Shahed UAV struck a civilian business near the port, killing three. In Dnipropetrovsk oblast, five Shahed-136 one-way drones were shot down, but a sixth strike a nine-story apartment building. Eight people were injured, with seven in hospital. Up to four people are missing. In an interview with the United States state media agency Radio Liberty, the Secretary-General of NATO, Jens Stoltenberg, said that Ukraine had the right to use a light-supplied weapons to strike Russia. Quote, this is Russia's aggressive war against Ukraine, which is a blatant violation of international law. And according to international law, Ukraine has the right to self-defense. And it also includes strikes against legitimate military targets, Russian military targets outside of Ukraine. Unquote. 
U.S. news agency Fox News aired an interview between Brad Bayer and President Volodymyr Zelensky. Parts were filmed 2,500 meters from the line of conflict, with the sound of artillery exploding. In the interview, Zelensky appealed for military aid from the U.S., saying his nation was fighting an unfair war. He added that the cost would be much higher if Russia is allowed to win its war of aggression. On February 10, a report to the Verkhovna Rada told Ukrainian leaders that there was enough artillery ammunition left for eight weeks. Military analyst Alexei Hetman said that Ukrainian troops had to, quote, switch to a mode of total economy of ammunition, unquote. It is noteworthy that the situation at Avdiivka started to deteriorate rapidly on February the 11th. Also sounding the alarm, U.S. news agency ABC News reported that if Congress does not authorize additional aid by the end of March, the situation will become catastrophic. An unnamed senior Pentagon official said, quote, The juncture starts now, and it just keeps getting worse progressively through the spring and into summer. So this time period that we are entering is a critical time period, unquote. The Inspector General of the Pentagon released a report indicating that the U.S. Department of Defense had not developed a sustainment and maintenance plan for military hardware already provided to Ukraine. Robert Storch of the DOD said, quote, While the DOD is currently working on developing such a plan, the lack of foresight in this matter is concerning and should be rectified promptly. The lack of such planning jeopardizes Ukraine's ability to effectively utilize the provided equipment, as well as the readiness of the U.S. Department of Defense to counter other threats to national security if necessary. Unquote. We had previously warned that there was no allocated budget for sustainment, and Ukraine is not only facing an ammunition shortage, but a dwindling ability to maintain their existing equipment. We're also deeply concerned about the provision of F-16 multi-role aircraft to Ukraine. Future sustainment and weapons, even if shipped from a U.S. ally, will still require State Department and Congressional approval. President of France Emmanuel Macron announced that Paris would host a conference in the coming weeks to, quote, explore available means to strengthen cooperation in support of Ukraine. Poland has already agreed to attend the meeting, which will exclude the United States. The United Kingdom is transferring 200 Brimstone surface-to-surface missiles. In 2023, Ukraine modified a launcher, creating a sea-launched solution. Canada is providing $30 million and Denmark another $247 million to help purchase 800,000 artillery shells that the Czech Republic said are available from South Korea and South Africa. The total cost of the rounds is an estimated $2 billion, and the first batch of 15,000 is expected, quote, within a few months. The Minister of Defense of Denmark, Trolls Lund Paulsen, said that his nation was working at full capacity to deliver the first eight F-16s to Ukraine by the summer. Delivery is contingent on Ukrainian pilot and ground crew readiness and the establishment of air bases. Ukraine received dozens of M-113 armored personnel carriers for case vac of the wounded. Minister of Defense Rostem Omerov said that, quote, a few hundred more are expected in the near future. 
In 2023, U.S. military analyst Rob Lee said that Ukrainian ground troops were more interested in receiving more M113s than attacking the missiles. Ukrainian forces have a high opinion of the Cold War-era APCs, especially compared to their MTLB Soviet counterparts. The German Bundestag adopted a non-binding measure to supply Ukraine with, quote, long-range weapons, but did not specifically mention the Taurus cruise missile. After the vote, a spokesperson for the government said Chancellor Olaf Scholz fully supports the proposal to supply Ukraine with longer-range weapon systems, but rejects the idea of transferring Taurus cruise missiles. What's going on in the world of Mobix, mobilization and MIR? Armenia has made it clear it is slowly pulling away from the CSTO alliance. CSTO is the Russian version of NATO, if you ordered NATO from Temu. The Secretary of the Security Council of Armenia, Armen Grigorian, said in response to the Moscow claim that Armenia was not making any changes. Quote, Seeing that the security system of which Armenia is a part did not work in 2020 or 21 and is not functional at all, Armenia is looking for other security guarantees and will continue to work in that direction. I don't see any problem here. We're firm in our policy and implement our intentions. Unquote. You're not going to believe this one, but I have brought receipts. Russia released a video showing what they claimed was a scale model of their future uncrewed surface drone, the Afalina. We'll link to the video. You have to see this to believe it. I'll wait. Did you watch the video? Are you under the impression the only thing that video is showing is a radio-controlled toy boat turning in circles? You would be correct. Naval expert H.I. Sutton identified the Afalina scale model as a radio-controlled bat boat, as in the comic book character Batman. When Russian government repression accelerated after the Prigozhin insurrection, we added Putin's purge to the podcast and the sit rap. It was a well-founded decision. In the aftermath of the Prigozhin insurrection, we assessed that President Putin has started the largest political purge in Russia since Stalin. Data analyzed by the news agency Projekt confirmed our prediction. Since 2018, public records indicate 116,000 people have been targets of Russian repression, including 11,442 felony charges and 105,000 administrative actions. This includes posting and commenting on social media, statements made to family, friends and co-workers, or attending rallies and protests. The number of court cases exploded in 2022 after the passage of the so-called Donsey War laws. In the last six years, more Russians have been charged with disclosure of state secrets, treason or espionage than Gorbachev, Chernenko, Andropov, Brezhnev, Khrushchev and Stalin from 1946 to his death in 1953 combined. The inevitable downfall of repressive regimes is the continuous need for enemies to hate and fear. Like the rule of Stalin, Hitler, Mao and Put, the next phase of Russia moving deeper into fascism has already started – the weaponization of complaints against fellow citizens. Here is an example. 
In Novosibirsk, 25-year-old school teacher Marina Lvova had a denunciation filed against her because she had her wedding picture on her desk, showing her and her husband holding each other outside of a church. The complaint said the picture showed, quote, immoral behavior. Lvova was forced to write an explanation, remove the picture from her desk and scrub her wedding pictures from social media. Seven months pregnant, the stress of the incident required her to be hospitalized. She told Russian state media that the denunciation was written by a man who was seeking revenge on her and one of her friends. The reason we have covered Putin's purge is the transformation into a fascist state as part of the reason why Russia is now an existential threat to the survival of not just Ukraine, but the future of Europe. This is not meant to elicit pity on the Russian people or to suggest that this is only Putin's war. 22 years of weaponized propaganda at every level of society has taken a firm grip over Russia and its population. Many believe that life under a dictator who is on a path to becoming the worst European leader since Stalin and Hitler is a good thing. It is not. And it is an integral part of the Russia-Ukraine war. It's also important to point out that the research from Proekt is based on public records. It doesn't include occupied Ukraine or Georgia. It doesn't include the bribes, the beatings, the extrajudicial executions or the hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians forcibly deported. The actual number is even bigger. And like Hitler, Stalin, Mao and Pot, the real number will likely never be known. The ongoing and now uncontrolled slide into the political abyss is not being properly covered in the West and needs to be presented. If Russia is not stopped, what awaits Ukrainians and other nations will be worse. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News.